Why, hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, should you wish to be a part of the program, 877-973-7425. Remember, well, you know what? I got the audio. I, I made Philip cut the audio, so I, I and he had to do some work with it, so I might as well play the audio. This is Chuck. Todd on M- er, not MSNBC, NBC's Meet the Press on Sunday, which, believe it or not, was two days ago, not yesterday. Republicans had a three-point lead in the generic congressional ballot. President's approval rating sat at 41%. Flash forward to June. Same pollster. Now it's Democrats up seven points. Mr. Biden's approval rating it actually went down a point. It's obviously uh, margin of error stuff at 40%. Jay Johnson, uh, it's Pretty clear that one of the predictions that was out there was that this abortion decision could energize Democrats in a way that Joe Biden hadn't. And not only is it energizing Democrats, it's still not helping Joe Biden. You're asking me the political question. <laughs> um, so um, I, I think that voters are just, and this is a, probably a hangover from the Trump years, just in a cranky mood about whoever is the leader these days. Uh, we're just not happy with all the things happening around us, and we tend to want to blame the person in charge right now. Yeah, except there's a problem for the Democrats. Uh, turns out the NPR Marist poll Chuck Todd was talking about was an outlier. Monmouth University, Republicans up to Harvard-Harris tie Emerson, Republicans up three. Economist YouGov, Republicans up five. Um, there's a problem. There's a problem. All those are uh, post-Dobbs polls. Problem for the Democrats. Uh, in the generic ballot, Republicans are two points ahead in the polling average. According to 538, Republicans are overwhelmingly favored. The odds are at 80, basically they're at 85% favored to take over the House, 55% favored to take over the Senate. Joe Biden's approval rating uh, is at 38.2%. Uh, the Monmouth University poll just out of 910 registered voters, it's 36% approval, 59% disapproval. Monmouth University's approval rating is the highest disapproval for a president in any poll other than the Trafalgar poll, which is a Republican pollster. Even Rasmussen, which leans to the right, doesn't have the president with as high a disapproval rating as the Monmouth University polling. Now, what are the three what are the biggest concerns to according to Monmouth University? In their poll, 33% of Americans are confer, con, concerned about inflation, 15% gas prices, 9% the economy, 6% groceries, 5% abortion, 3% guns, 3% health care, 3% unemployment, 2% tuition, 2% housing and rent, 2% crime and safety, 1% civil rights, 1% climate change, 1% COVID, 1% education, 1% illness. But look, 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 look at the top four. Inflation, gas prices, economy, bills and groceries, bills slash groceries. 
63% of Americans say the economy, essentially, is their number one issue. Inflation is their number one issue. Gas, economy, and groceries all tie into inflation. Inflation's a third of people say that's the biggest issue. 15% gas, 9% economy, 6% groceries. That combined, 63%. 67 if you add in people concerned about rent. 69, no, 70 if you consider in uh, unemployment as part of it as well, 70% have economic concerns, followed by abortion, which is always at 5%. And by the way, of those who say they're concerned about abortion, at 5% of those who say their guns are concerned, half of them are pro-life, half of them are pro-abortion, half of them are pro-gun, half of them are anti-gun. The economy, stupid. It's the economy. And because of that and the other forces of politics and policy, the Democrats have a real problem on their hands with young voters. Gen Z. Now, people so often at this point in life are used to talking about um, about millennials and that millennials are the real problem. Um, but we're actually, we've moved on to Gen Z. Gen Z are the up and coming voters, the 18, really the 18 to what, 30 year olds now or so are generation Z. And the political has the story. I find the story just hilariously delightful. Listen to this story. A debate is raging inside the Democratic Party about whether it's giving its base, especially those under 30, the generation that most strongly supports abortion rights, enough motivation to keep voting for the party as federal Democrats struggle to meaningfully push back against overturning Roe v. Wade. The fear is that an already deflated Democratic base won't show up in November, particularly the youngest voters who smashed participation records in the past two elections and backed Joe Biden by a 25-point margin in 2020. Some Democrats stress the Biden administration and Congress need to do more to show their rage— and willingness to take significant action to mirror the passion seen among young people, three-quarters of whom support abortion being generally legal. There's a fine line between the recent events pushing someone to never vote again and pushing someone to vote with righteous anger and bring friends with them, says Maxwell Frost, a 25-year-old Democrat running for Congress in Florida. It's up to our leaders to decide which direction that's going to go in. When they show they're in the fight, using all the resources to fight for the most vulnerable in our community, but we need more right now. That sentiment was echoed by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who tweeted that Democrats, quote, cannot make promises, hector people to vote, and then refuse to use our full power. Ticking through a list of potential actions the party could take, including expanding the Supreme Court, opening abortion clinics on federal land, and repealing the Hyde Amendment. Days later, Vice President Kamala Harris pushed back on that frustration in front of a room full of donors, defending Biden, urging votes in November. I know some people are saying, stop talking to us about the election. We know. 
Don't trivialize the significance. We can't afford to. Democrat margins in Congress are razor thin. A big step in diffusing the disagreement came when Biden confirmed last week he would support a carve-out to the filibuster rules to codify Roe v. Wade. Felt like a step in the right direction, said Carmel Pryor, Senior Communications Director for the Alliance of Youth Action. However, ensuring momentum and the fight for control of Congress requires more action. And by the way, they're not going to get the filibuster repealed. Now, pay attention to this. This is a big paragraph here. Democrats said this kind of political theater is what voters, especially Generation Z, need to see to, quote, unquote, value signal as opposed to virtue signal that they're willing to fight for them, says a Democratic pollster. He cites Governor Greg Abbott's effort to bust migrants from Texas to Washington in the absence of federal action on immigration, calling it an example of a vivid action that effectively riled up the Republican base. Democrats, Terrence Woodbury, Democratic pollster continued, would be considering their should be considering their own version of attention grabbing actions. A buddy of mine sent me that link and said it is the real world of this clip. Some of you may recognize. In this case, I think we have to go all out. I think this situation absolutely requires a really futile and stupid gesture be done on somebody's part. We're just the guys to do it. Let's do it. Let's do it! If you've ever seen Animal House, you'll have recognized the clip. A stupid, a futile and stupid gesture. This, my friends, this is the problem the Democrats have with Generation Z. What have they been telling young voters to do? Get out there. Be heard. Be loud. Be seen. You cannot be heard, loud, or seen in the voting booth. Attention, attention. You cannot be heard loud or seen in the voting booth. They'll remove you. It's disruptive. So guess where Generation Z is not going? Oh, I, 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 I hate to tell the Democrats, but y'all are the ones who've been telling them to take to the streets, not to the ballot box. They can't be seen in the ballot box. Remember, Generation Z wants to be seen doing something. You can't be seen inside a voting booth. It's private. They've been told by the Democratic elite, take to the streets. So they took to the streets and what happened? Nothing. Nothing happened. They sweated. They messed up their hair. They had to clarify their pronouns to each other in the streets with other people present. And nothing changed. And now you want them to go vote? 
where nobody cares about their pronouns. Nobody's going to care what they're wearing, except they can't wear their political slogans on their shirts in the voting booth, and they can't be seen. They can't be loud and proud and out there and protest in the voting booth. They can't do that. You've been telling them that's what they have to do, and now you want them to go vote, and they got to shut up and actually touch a screen and, and figure out who's actually in charge and, and who to actually vote and how it actually works, and, and they, they don't want to do that. I mean, you told them to go protest and you in the filibuster. It's still there. You told them to show up and scream and they could get something done. And now you want to do more of that and nothing's going to happen. I mean, this is part of the problem. And you Republicans run into this too. Republicans have run into this in the past. Look at what happened to Republicans after they promised to kill Obamacare and they didn't. Their base collapsed on them. The Democrats have been saying, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. We're going to do X, Y, and Z. We're going to do these things. We're going to do these things. And then they can't get rid of the filibuster because of Democratic votes. And so it gets nowhere. It's all well and good to ram it through the House of Representatives. It dies in the Senate. And the odds favor Republicans taking over the Senate. So what you have is a generation of voters who go online and on television and they see the loud voices are on their side. They think they control it all because the loud, disproportionate attention getters are on their side. And it turns out they got to deal with places like Iowa and Alabama that have the power to crush their agenda in votes that actually matter. They become disaffected. They don't want to participate in the process. It's too nasty, too icky. It doesn't get anything done. Of course, it eventually leads to violence, but we hadn't gotten there yet. What it's going to do first is it's going to lead to a bunch of disaffected Generation Zers who were told to stand up, be loud, be proud, get out there, protest, storm the building, and burn down the small business. They did all that. And all it's caused is a backlash of more responsible Americans against their hopes, dreams, wishes, and fears. Nobody cares about their pronouns. Instead, they care about their jobs and their 401k and how unfortunate that possibly is. Nothing's going to change. And what the Democrats will do by their value signaling instead of virtue signaling is you're going to alienate more middle-class Americans who go vote in disproportionate numbers to Gen Z and think these people have lost the plot. The plot is inflation in the economy, stupid, not your pronouns and abortion gimmicks. It's going to hurt them badly in the polls. Listen, I realize it's a podcast ad, but it's also true. I do sleep under bowl and branch sheets every night. They are noticeable, distinct there. They've got a great weight to them. They've got a great softness to them, and they get softer over time. They use the best 100% organic cotton threads on the planet for superior softness and a better night's sleep. They're soft to start with. They get softer. They've also got a great weight. They're not too light. They're not too heavy. They keep you cool in the summer, warm in the winter. They're just perfect sheets, really. They use the highest quality threads there are. They're beloved even by three U.S. presidents. They got over 10,000 stellar reviews. And you can feel the difference of their iconic signature sheets pretty immediately. Bull and Branch even gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping and returns on all orders. The annual summer event is starting soon, but Bull and Branch is giving you guys exclusive early access before anyone else to 20% off with promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, 
at bowlandbranch.com. It is their best offer of the year before the holidays, so you need to act now. Again, you guys, my listeners of The Eric Erickson Show, get this exclusive early access, and you get to save 20% with promo code ERIC. It's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. The promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, for 20% off. My friends, did you know that you can sign up for my daily email? And if you subscribe, you will get the list of all the links to all the stuff and more in the daily email that comes out right as the show starts. So you can have in your hand all the links to all the stuff I'm talking about. Uh, By and large, like I just found some stuff that I'm going to talk about, so it won't be in there. But generally, you get all that stuff. So it's show prep for your mind. You do it by texting the word data to 33777. You just subscribe. Text the word data to 33777. Got to play you this audio. Let me rearrange my sound here to make sure I can play this. This is Samantha B, who's allegedly a comedian. You need to listen to this. I can't describe how painful it is to be here now in a place where the Supreme Court has the power to erase 50 years of constitutional law. Make no mistake, this is not where it ends. Conservatives will not rest until they have come for all of our rights. Everything we have fought for could be lost unless we take it back. It's not just about voting in November. It's about doing everything in our power to protect and help vulnerable people access abortion across state lines. And we have to raise hell in our cities, in Washington, in every restaurant Justice Alito eats at for the rest of his life. Because if Republicans have made our lives hell, it's time to return the favor. Essentially, she's encouraging mob violence against Republicans and Supreme Court justices. She's encouraging days of rage. Notice, I, I gotta, I gotta go back and play this audio because this gets to the point exactly as I was talking about. I can't describe how painful it is to be here now in a place where the Supreme Court has the power to erase fifty years of constitutional law. Make no mistake, this is not where it ends. Conservatives will not rest until they have come for all of our rights. Everything we have fought for could be lost unless we take it back. It's not just about voting in November. It's It's not just about voting in November. That was two seconds. This clip is 38 seconds. She spent two seconds on vote in November. And the entire, she got to that at 18 seconds in. At 18 seconds in, she gets to voting. Two seconds later, she moves on to protest, rebel, stand up to the man, rage against the machine of the Republicans. Yeah, good luck with that. Two seconds in a 38-second video, it takes her 18 seconds to get to go vote in November. And then all the rest of it. And that's the problem that they're going to have with Gen Z is they're going to go protest. They're going to go show up. And nothing's going to change. And so by the time they get to November, they've poured all of their energy into this. They've yelled at people. They've pushed them out of restaurants. They've shamed them. By the way, nobody knows what these justices look like anyway. Some poor black man somewhere is about to get accused of being Clarence Thomas and chased out of a restaurant. You know it's going to happen. It's not going to be him. It's going to happen. And they'll get nowhere. They will get nowhere. Fatalism is starting to creep in. Remember, there are stages of grief. Acceptance is the last stage. 
And by the way, a lot of these Democrats will realize it works to their advantage once they accept it and they work at the state level. They'll finally see a bunch of Republicans expose themselves as not really pro-life, and that'll affect, impact, and, and degrade Republican turnout. But they're not there yet. They're still in the rage, the anger, the despair of the grief. But the time is coming. The time is coming where they'll have to accept it. And by November, we'll be back to the economy, stupid. I mean, really, it's going to be the economy. And and all the culture war stuff piled on top of the economy as the Democrats focus on other things, including racist roads, people. Did you know the roads are racist and they must be fought? That's what Pete Boot Edge Edge intends to do. It's the most pressing matter of Washington, the racist asphalt. How's about we go to the phones, people waiting patiently? I'll give them a pause. Give me a pause here and let them talk. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be a part of the program, let's go to, well, we got a couple of Davids. David, welcome. How are you? Hey, Eric. Just want you to know I really do enjoy the show. Thank you. And especially after this last shooting, which, you know, you know, all sympathy and prayers to the families of the affected. But, you know, again, it's not the gun, just the people. If you want to prove it, if you take a, if you take an AR-15 or an M-16, and I don't think that's a brand name, and set it on the ground, and to have 17 people stand around it and appoint a timekeeper and clock off 19 minutes exactly, and during that 19 minutes, you have somebody be the record keeper. And what they're going to record after 19 minutes have passed is how many people were negatively impacted by that AR-15 or M-16 laying on the ground and that circle of of 17 people. I think you'll find not one person. Well, I mean, unless there's a Gen Zer there who is psychically affected by that. (laughs) Yes. You're, yes, I get the point. I mean, the gun's not going to shoot itself. Yes. Um, well, but, you know, I mean, the Gen Zer won't know that because they watch TikTok videos where the guns mysteriously do it all themselves. <laughs> you know, you know and, and, and any of these, uh, and again, sympathy to the affected families, and any of these uh, shootings, a person could have walked through the school in Texas, in Nevada, Texas, with two forty fives or two two pistols with with you know with clips, and essentially done the same amount of damage in about the same time, roughly, and especially with the case down there. So it really doesn't matter, you know, what the weapon is. It, it, it's, it's the it's the person that needs help behind the trigger. Mm-hmm. So I'll let you go, and I really I really do enjoy this. Well, show. look, I appreciate it very much, and and yeah, I mean, the the gun is not going to shoot itself. It's just, um, it's unfortunate. It is sad. And, of course, Democrats are capitalizing on this. Here is the governor of the state of Illinois and all of his infinite wisdom. Our founders carried muskets, not assault weapons. And I don't think a single one of them would have said that you have a constitutional right to an assault weapon with a high-capacity magazine. Uh, no word on if he will force his security detail back to muskets. No word on that one. Now, back to the phones we go to the other David waiting patiently. David, how are you? Hey, Eric. I'm doing pretty good. What's going on? 
Hey, just a real quick point to that other thing is the, the Constitution assured access to equal arms for both the civilians and the government, whether it be muskets or howitzers. It's, it's, you know, they didn't have the Internet back then either. So I don't guess the First Amendment applies to, you know, stuff posted on the Internet or mass media. Yeah, you know, by the anyway, way, back, I, I got to say real quick, I have a buddy who has a cannon and he fires it on the 4th of July and, and people don't believe me, he puts videos up on, on Instagram. He has an actual real cannon. And he fires the cannon, and and guess what? Uh, we he, actually you can in this country buy cannons for your front lawn, like he does. And people are like, I can't believe that. Well, yes, exactly. Hey, my real real question is, I want to hear some ideas from you. Maybe two or three things that the Republicans need to try to do when they come into power, because it's, there's no questions that the Democrats are going to get slaughtered in this election. There's no real sense or buts about it, but. And we've talked about this in the past. I am tired of seeing the Republicans get into power and do absolutely nothing. I'd like to hear some real, simple, concise ideas on what they can do to try to save the country for the next two years and line up a presidential victory. Oh, because you know, I, it, maybe, so maybe I, the I, last I, David, I may disappoint you because I, I don't think they will do much as long as Biden has the veto and they're not going to have a veto override. They will investigate the snot out of them. However, I will tell you this, uh, and I'm going to let you go there because you got a lot of background noise there. I was talking to a buddy of mine today who's a finance guy, and we were on a call. We're, we're going to be – I'm going to be gone a lot next week. I have to speak at a conference repeatedly in Las Vegas during showtimes, uh, so I won't be here. Uh, but um, we were on this panel together about what's coming, and he pointed out that uh, historically the best economic times we've had in this country in the last 30 years have been when there's a Democrat in the White House and Republicans in charge of Congress because that's when you get overwhelming gridlock and markets love gridlock. Uh, not only that, Republicans seem to rediscover fiscal discipline when there's a Democrat in the White House, and so you actually get them forcing through real spending cuts. So Clinton got the balanced budget uh, because of the Republicans who arguably, because they made Clinton look so moderate, uh, got him a second term. And then the sequestration, when Republicans were in charge with Barack Obama, they got sequestration, which were dollar for dollar, real meaningful current year spending cuts. That, I think, is where Republicans can actually help fix things and improve inflation is by forcing Joe Biden to cut spending and exercise the fiscal discipline. Now, let's be honest here. Let's be intellectually honest here. Republicans suck when it comes to fiscal discipline. Republicans are really bad at fiscal discipline when they're in charge of everything. Republicans spend just as much, if not more so, than Democrats and then lie about it. The Democrats at least don't lie about their spending. Republicans spend and then pretend they didn't. Or they blame someone for making them. But when there's a Democrat in the White House and there is a Republican-controlled Congress, Republicans tend to meaningfully cut budgets and rein in spending, and that is the one big thing they can do. Uh, you want the second big thing they can do. The second big thing Republicans can do is investigate. They can investigate the Department of Homeland Security and the border. They can investigate how the Department of Education and Department of Justice conspired to label parents terrorists for going to school board meetings. Uh, 
They can investigate uh, scores of issues that otherwise will not get investigated and hold the Biden administration accountable. They can do that one. Uh, the other and, and by the way, by investigating, they will slow down the executive branch. And that in and of itself is a good thing. By investigations tend to slow the pace of the other party in charge of the White House. And that's that's a good thing. Now, the other thing Republicans can do that maybe they will do is Republicans can find areas with Joe Biden to force compromise on oil production domestically. If Joe Biden has Republicans in Congress, this is where the hard part comes for the Democrats. Biden has to pivot to the right. He's got to pivot to the right. Now, that means he's got to head towards the center from the far left. Joe Biden has a lot of Democrats in the White House who were employed by Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. It was one of the deals he cut to get the Democratic nomination is he hired a bunch of progressives from Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders staff. And they're dragging him further and further left. And Republicans in Congress give him the ability to do what Bill Clinton did and pivot towards the center and make himself look more reasonable for purposes of, of winning re-election. That, that's why uh, I'm intrigued by all of these, these Democratic complaints out there about this White House and its ineffectiveness and, and the like. If Biden pivots towards the center, they're going to have a real meltdown because it's going to make him look like he's compromising with those evil, icky, awful Republicans, and that is going to cause him trouble. But Republicans might, just by being there, cause Biden to appear more moderate or work for more moderate goals, which for all of us would be a good thing uh, if he moderated some of the desires of the left. It would also fracture the Democratic Party, start a civil war there, and that too would be a good thing for us. Speaking of all this, um, Edward Isaac DeVore is at CNN, and um, I, I believe Edward Isaac DeVore is just a flat-out apologist um, for the Democrats. Uh, I I genuinely, truly believe that this guy uh, has leaned to the left. He wrote for The Atlantic. Uh, he was the chief Washington correspondent to Politico. He's always had very, very kind things to say about the Democrats. And the fact that he is writing this at CNN, I think, is notable. Let me uh, forget the headline. Let me just read you what he writes. Deborah Messing was fed up. The former Will and Grace star was among dozens of celebrity Democratic supporters and activists who joined a call with White House aides last Monday to discuss the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. The mood was fatalistic, according to three people on the call, which was co-organized by the advocacy group Build Back Better Together. Messing said she's gotten she'd gotten Joe Biden elected. She wanted to know why she was being asked to do anything at all, yelling that there didn't even seem to be a point in voting. Others wondered why the call was happening. That afternoon, participants received a follow-up email and a list of basic talking points and suggestions of Biden's speech clips to share on TikTok. The call, three days after the decision eliminating federal abortion rights, encapsulates the overwhelming sense of frustration among Democrats with Biden. It offers a new window into what many of the president's party describe as a mismanagement permeating the White House. Top Democrats complain the president isn't acting with or perhaps is capable of the urgency the moment demands. Rudderless, aimless, 
hopeless is how one member of Congress describes the White House. Two dozen leading Democratic politicians and operatives, as well as several within the West Wing, tell CNN they feel this goes deeper than questions of ideology and posture. Instead, they say it gets to questions of basic management. More than a week after the abortion decision, top Biden aides are still wrangling over releasing new actions in response. White House counsel Dana Remus has assured senior aides the Supreme Court wouldn't rule on abortion that day. A White House press aide assigned to the issue was walking to get coffee when the alert hit. Several Democratic leaders privately mocked how the president stood in the foyer of the White House, squinting through his remarks from a teleprompter as demonstrators poured into the streets, making one vague promise of action before he and his aides decided or had not decided to do more. Then... Biden's July 1st meeting with governors to talk about their efforts to protect abortion rights was planned so last minute. None of those who attended came in person, and several of those invited decided to rearrange their schedules to appear virtually. Multiple Democratic politicians who have reached out to work with Biden, whether it's on specific bills, brainstorming, or outreach, often don't hear anything back at all. Potential appointees have languished for months waiting to hear if they'll get jobs or when they'll be done with vetting. Invitations to events are scarce. Thank you calls barely happen. Even some aides within the White House wonder when Biden, why Biden hadn't fired anyone. From the West Wing or at the FDA, to demonstrate accountability over the baby formula debacle. Inside the White House, aides are exhausted from feeling forever on red alert, batting at a swarm of crises that keep growing, enough for White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre to make an offhand joke about the constant 11th hour decision-making in the building. Several officials say Biden's tendency to berate advisors when he's displeased with how a situation is being handled or when events go off poorly has trickled down the ranks of the West Wing, leaving several mid-level aides feeling blamed for failings despite lacking any real ability to influence decision-making. It's contributed to staff departures. Democrats worry the lack of decisions and authority are deepening their own midterm problems and feeding a sense the president couldn't truly handle the extra complications of a run for re-election in 2024. Now, I got to Google. Nope. The word Klain. Ron Klain does not appear in this story. The word Ron Klain does not appear. There is no blaming Ron Klain. There is nothing about his chief of staff. All of these are problems about the chief of staff, and there's no word about the chief of staff. That seems like journalistic malpractice to me. You would think, given the contents of the story and the nature of the complaints, that they would be blaming Ron Klain, and they're not. Makes you wonder what's going on there. I mean, it should make us all wonder what's going on. Retirements, 401ks. My gosh, I've stopped looking at my 401k. I mean, the Dow, it's, well, I don't even want to tell you. My gosh. You got to start figuring stuff out. Can you use physical gold and silver to pad the ebbs and flows in your retirement? Maybe you can. 
you might want to talk to someone who specializes in this stuff. That's why you might want to reach out to Gold Co. at 855-904-5933. You'll get a free wealth protection kit to learn how to use gold and silver to protect and grow your money. Thousands of retirees are protecting their retirement savings. Many are getting $10,000 or more in free silver for doing it. Call Gold Co. Find out how you qualify for their offer. Gold Co. has helped thousands of Americans protect their retirement against inflation and stock market crashes. They might be able to help you. Their number is 855-904-5933. You get the free wealth protection kit to learn how to use gold and silver to protect your money. Or if you just text ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777, I will send you Gold Co.'s phone number. Text ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. And I will send you Gold Co.'s toll-free number, call them, and see if they might be able to help you with your retirement. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Y'all, I am from Louisiana. L-O-U-I-S-I-A-N-A. Louisiana. You know, um, we, uh, the residents of Louisiana, learn as kids that we must learn to spell our state's name without any sort of structural device to help us remember it, a mnemonic. Meanwhile, we've got M-I, crooked letter, crooked letter, I, crooked letter, crooked letter, I, humpback, humpback, I, right next door to us. Easy to spell Mississippi when you have that. And then when you pronounce your state Louisiana... Forgot there's an I, L-O-U-I-S-I-A-N-A. I only point that out because the vice president of the United States of America went to New Orleans, Louisiana to participate in an onstage event and they misspelled the name of the state on the backdrop, L-O-U-S-I-A-N-A. They forgot the first I. Now, you should note, the vice president of the United States of America is not to blame. She is not the one responsible. The problem is, this goes perfectly well with the uh, thematic idiosyncrasies of her office, perceived as incompetent and rushed and they don't have their A game going on. Nobody in the White House does now anyway. Uh, it, it's it's actually just fascinating to watch this White House as they throw around blame, et cetera. Um, it's just – it's fascinating. It really is fascinating. They misspelled the name of a state that has a Democratic governor. They would like to help him out. He's on the ballot up for re-election next year, and they misspelled it. God help them. If they, <laughs> I mean, it sounds like they did a phonetic spelling because people in Louisiana tend to say Louisiana. Uh, they don't say Louisiana. God help them if they were on Choptula Street. Um, they would have all sorts of problems down there on Charter Street and the like. My gosh, if you know, you know. Um, the words in Louisiana, not always pronounced the way you would think they would be pronounced in places like Opelousas, among other places. But, you know, if you're the vice president staff, 
proofreading the signage and making sure you spell the name of one of our 57 states accurately? Hmm. 